0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scrap what I had as an intro. And for the intro this morning, I want to bring us back to, to 10 minutes ago, those last two songs that we sang. And if you guys need a Bible, you can raise your hand and, and the team will get you a Bible. But just those last two songs, that, uh, God is worthy of it all. God... I exalt thee and I, I love that reminder wherever you were at in that space a few minutes ago let's hold that before us this morning as we go and and I'm um, so glad the Lord led us to that this morning because the passage that we're in as we continue our journey through first John we're in chapter two and it's a passage that contains the word and the concept of the antichrist and uh in my experience, sometimes Christians do, like, weird stuff with the idea of the Antichrist. And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes, like, this uh, escape room, Da Vinci Code mystery, problem-solving thing with numbers and letters and symbols. And and it just can get really weird. And I just want to put before us, let's glorify God. <laughs> I loved where we were a few minutes ago. And... Um, this is not necessarily weird. In fact, one of, one of my own experiences with this, I, I preached one time on a book that has some end times kind of stuff. I think it was the book of Daniel, but we weren't there. I was somewhere very different, and I preached a sermon and all that. And a guy came up to me afterwards, and the only thing that he wanted to talk about was stuff that's in another part of the book that relates to end-time mystery-solving weirdness and and, and all of that. And so it just struck me that that there can kind of be this fascination sometimes uh, with this idea, but at the heart of it all, you know, and I love where Josh and Scott have led us so far this morning, um, this is about the glory of the Lord. This is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is about worship of him. This is not necessarily about problem-solving. So we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 28 is the passage this morning. And it is complex, sure, but, but my, my take and my uh, assertion before you is it's maybe not as dark and mysterious as some people would lead you to believe. I believe that we can know what God wants us to know in his scriptures this morning. Uh, I believe we can understand how this is helpful in our own relationship with Jesus. And I believe we can do it all using only the words from 1 John. So, here we go. Uh, I want to I show us a couple things this morning. So here's the beginning of 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So here's the first thing that potentially should have stood out to you. So here's the antichrist. There's also many antichrists. Uh, I want to offer an extended metaphor on how to consider the the concept of the Antichrist in Scripture for us this morning. So. Um, I don't often do this, but but this was clear in, in my mind this week. Uh, I was on my paddle board, as I was pre- meant, uh, figuratively, because it's really cold. Uh, so I was picturing being being on my paddle board. Now I don't know if you guys boat or if you've ever been near a river or the ocean around here or anything like that. But what is true about every body of water past a certain size, right? If, if it's moving water, living water, river, ocean, big lake, there's a current. There's a current. And one of the things you need to know how to uh, uh, identify if you're going to be successful on the water is how a current works. If you are trying to paddle uh, or swim against a current, the outcome can be anything from a pretty big nuisance to fatally deadly and anything in between. You cannot change the current of a water And so, to successfully survive or thrive or enjoy your time on the water, you have to be able to recognize what the current is, where it's going, to avoid it if it's not going the direction that you want and to stay on calm water or stay on the current that is taking you where you want to go. So that's kind of been my uh, metaphor, extended metaphor for, for processing this this morning. Recognize, avoid, and then stay in the safe water. So we're going to come back to that in a few different ways. Here's the deal. The word antichrist is only in the Bible five times. And it's all used by the same author. The writer John is the only one who uses the word antichrist. It's in four verses. uh, One in 2 John. Uh, f- four times, three verses in First John. Three of them are in our passage this morning. Might surprise you that Antichrist does not even appear in the book of Revelation. This is it. I just put on screen every use of the word Antichrist that is in our Bible. And so I want to start with this, to recognize. So here's what John says again. We have the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So I'll show two things here. Again, we have the idea of more Then one of these, they went out from us, they did not belong to us, they would have remained with us, their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And there is a significant emphasis here on where these people came from. Look at all this. So John's drawing attention to two things here. One is that this this is an actual, recognizable, identifiable people to those that he's writing this letter to in 1 John. He's referencing something that the people are intimately familiar with. There might even be names that people are thinking of as John's writing. But the point he's making is that there were individuals who have left the community of faith. There are people who once were with them who are no longer with them. And the ones receiving this letter have experienced this. It's talking about the fact that some people jump-shipped. They changed teams. They demonstrated that they do not belong to the same faith. So in the context we have here in 1 John, the Antichrist or the Antichrists of this warning are, if they're not former Christians, at the very least, it's somebody who gave the appearance of being on Team Jesus, who is now living, believing, teaching something different. So here's the uses of Antichrist. That is a a clue to who, which is very interesting, but it doesn't answer all of the questions. In fact, it might raise more questions than it answers. And so this goes hand in hand with the what and the where and the when. So I want to dive into all of that right now. Again, we saw that there's many. And whoever... And every spirit. Um, but see this too. Uh, on 1 John 2.18, the Antichrist is coming, but even now many Antichrists have come. 1 John verse 4. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, but also is even now already in the world. 2 John verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And again, we have many, and we have any. So there's a sense here that there's real people that are at work right now. At the same time, John seems to acknowledge that, that there is something coming, The Antichrist is coming, but it's far less on his mind than the ones that are at work right now. That there is a a person, there is a teaching, there is a movement, there is something that is alive and at work in the world today that John is warning people about. And what specifically he's warning them about is really, really clear. Look at 1 John 2.22. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Verse John 4.3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 2 John verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. And just as we have three instances, three examples of what exactly they're doing, we also have the deceiving, the not acknowledging, the denying, and the deceiving. So something's being something's being put forth here by people who were once part of the community who have now departed and they're saying things that all center on the, the, the divinity, the person, the reality, the theology, whatever you want to say, of Jesus Christ. Something is off about Jesus. That's the telltale sign of this false teaching, of this false movement, of this spirit of the Antichrist. They're not getting Jesus right. And it's not an end times issue. It is right now. And so again... The first call here, I think, is to recognize. You and I, if you've placed faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are called Christians. There are others who are called Antichrist. Antichrist. One way that I believe John is is trying to help us understand here is that these are human preachers and teachers who have walked away from the apostolic teaching of Jesus and created one of their own making. So there does seem to be, there, there is this idea of the Antichrist and there might be one coming. In fact, I think it is clear that there is one coming, but nowhere in Scripture am I encouraged to figure out who that is. Far more importantly, the reality that there is that spirit, there is that battle, there is that temptation at war against me today. That there is a message that somehow distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is compelling that there is a temptation to believe something other than what God has said over Jesus and his gospel as true. So instead of some of popular literature and trying to solve mysteries, instead consider a far more subtle application of this. Think back in your Bibles. What was the first antichrist type instance in your bible what was the first and who was the first antichrist type deceiver satan where in the garden of eden So the first temptation the first sin the first step away from true belief in the true god came in the form of the devil in the garden in genesis chapter three and what did he say He did not say, God's not real. He did not say, Jesus is not God. You could have a view of heresy that I think is a little bit too limited, too blatant. That that somebody with authority stands up somewhere with a platform and says, Jesus is not God. That's very obvious. We've already dealt with those people in our world, in our history. They're called atheists. And that's not a very subtle, slippery slope. There's no confusion in what atheists believe. It's too obvious. But Satan is not an atheist. He's something far worse. In our day, in your context deception will not stand up and say Jesus is not fully divine not very often that's pretty recognizable but consider the small steps that might lead someone just as satan proposed in Genesis chapter 3 what did he actually say G- he asked eve about the tree and she spoke and he said you won't you won't die Behind that was a simple seed of doubt that what God said might not be what God meant. Behind that was a little kernel of, does God actually want the best for you? Do you hear the difference between that and Jesus Christ was not fully God and fully man and did not have the incarnation? and right, It's different. Now consider the various ways that that we might get off, that we might have a different view of the gospel, of the reality of Jesus Christ than what was intended. And I think in different contexts, in different generations, the temptation uh, appears differently. For some, it might be seeking that a political salvation is more achievable in this life than to witness the kingdom of God and to place hope in that type of figure. And for maybe another person in a different context, it might be that God meant what he said maybe, but that was a long time ago. And we need to reinterpret what God means now. And for another person in another culture and another demographic, it might be, well, we can't actually know what is true. That's that's too arrogant. That's too hard. We have rapidly become a, a nation of far more unchurched than ever before. That's happening right now but I believe it was led by their spiritual parents and their spiritual older siblings, the dechurched, Those who were around the community, those who knew the language, those who were with us and have since departed, saying things not that Jesus is not God, but saying things that are appealing. I am, I am consistently impressed is the wrong word, but there is, a, there is a type of impressed with people that I know, circles that I am in, friends that I have, who, who gave the appearance or were part of the church culture. They attended my youth group. I know where they used to go to church. And they've now left, and man, they know, the, they know the vocab. They know the biblical references. They can make subtle Christian jokes. And they're angry at God. And they don't say he's not real. They say things like, I know how to live more true to myself than Christians do. They say, I know how to love gay people better than the church does. They say, I'm happier now than I was when I was trying to do the whole Jesus thing. All three of those carry behind it the assertion that Jesus is not Lord. Just like the temptation in the garden, behind the words Behind the facade is this little idea that it's crazy to actually follow Jesus. But John has, I think, some answers. So that was recognize. Recognize the current. See it for what it is. After that, though, we're not called... To change the current, to try to do anything other than avoid that. Here's John's answer. So we continue in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? We've already read this one. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Here's John's solution. Look at this. That you know the truth. The cure to the Antichrist, the cure to the temptation, the cure to false teaching, the cure to just a little path that walks away from the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's the truth. And it's not any more complicated than that. There's a very interesting phrase here. This is another one that actually only comes from this writer uh, in scripture from John, the anointing from the Holy One. It's here and it's also in verse 27. The anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So what helps us know the truth? I think he answered that in that first sentence. What is the anointing of the Holy One? Well, one of the things we believe, and it was part of the the Statement of Faith series, and if you go through the membership class, we will talk about the Holy Spirit, that God bestows his spirit in an indwelling way in every believer, So I wanted to grab really quick, this is just a short excerpt from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think this portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the best passage in scripture on why the Bible can be confusing. (laughs) Because there's something interesting going on here that we've not received the spirit of the world and all of the, Interesting things that we've talked about so far that that brings to mind. But the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. In fact, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and can't even understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You may have this experience. If not, you probably know somebody who does. There's something really cool that happens when somebody who's a little bit later in life becomes a Christian. All of a sudden, the Bible gets really interesting. Whoa, this is real? I get it. It didn't make sense before, and now it does. This is happening. The Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture to the mind and heart of a believer. So this is a spiritual thing going on. And so when John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One who helps you understand truth, he is bringing our attention to the fact that God's Spirit and God's Word are our ammo. His truth, his voice, the spirit, the Holy Spirit will never lead the believer in a direction that contradicts with the word of God. These two things go hand in hand. So I have a word from the Lord. Well, it better line up with scripture. (laughs) And that is the way that God intended. That is how he does business with us. On the same hand, it's not just your Bible without any sense of, what does God want from me today? These things are a partnership. This is how God speaks to us. This is how God's truth comes out in our lives. The two inseparable components of the voice of God. And so we're almost done here with uh, what we have in 1 John chapter 2. And I think this kind of lands us in, in what we do next, right? To recognize the current, to recognize the, the false teaching or spirit of the Antichrist, to avoid it, not defeat it, to avoid it through the truth that God has given us and to stay on the right path. I think it's interesting, this whole thing got started with talking about those who have departed the faith community, and look where he takes this about staying within, not just with the faith community, but staying with Jesus. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. For those of you that have been to church before today, um, that sentence might spark some memories. This is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, who is the only of the four Gospels to record that final conversation with Jesus Christ in the the minutes and hours before he was arrested. And as part of that final conversation, as part of Jesus' final prayer over his disciples, that's the one when Jesus says, remain in me as I have remained in you. John's bringing us back to that. And now, dear children... Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And I just think how interesting where this started to where it's gone now. As the people have left and they've, what they've taken and what they've put forth now is something completely different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so John says, remember the truth. And he says, remain in Jesus remain in Jesus that's also abide right as i as i abide in you so you must abide in me two two ways i want to talk about two methods two ways that we can abide in Christ today tomorrow next week throughout this whole book really throughout this passage truth was heavily emphasized so that'll be one but there's a second too which is the relationship of jesus christ the relationship with god to abide in jesus means trusting in jesus's love So let's grab what the opposite of that would look like just by way of an example. To not abide in Jesus' love would mean that we stop believing that we are loved by Christ. We look at our circumstances, perhaps uh, trouble brought on not by ourselves, perhaps persecution, perhaps abandonment, perhaps disease. We look at those things and we conclude that surely God doesn't love me anymore. That'll be the opposite. To abide then, to abide in Jesus' love means continuing to believe moment by moment that God loves me. To remain in that love, to choose, to press in day by day, moment by moment, that we are loved. So much so that you can walk that out. There is a theological application. There's a real life outworking of believing that. To get to a point where you can believe that everything that comes into our lives is under Jesus' sovereign authority and is part of his love for us. That takes work. That is hard. Here's a really popular verse, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So what we're talking about right now is this. We know that in all things, in all things, God is working good because he loves. Now later in the chapter, what's implied in all is actually written out for us. (laughs) What is all? Death, life, supernatural beings. How about right now? The future, whatever that means. Height, nor depth, nor holy smokes, there it is again. Anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Press in. Just as this means to abide in the love of Christ, I think it also means to abide in the truth of God's word. So similarly, if we take the phrase to abide, when Jesus says it in John 8, abide in my word, it can't mean merely keep my commandments. Rather, just like with love, it means continuing, continuing to believe moment by moment, that what God says is true. Continuing day by day in all things to press into the idea that what God says is true. And Jesus wrote in his gospel, if you abide in my word, you are Jesus said in John's gospel, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we have this same kind of application, although it works both parts of our brains. It works the totality of who we are to remain in God's love. That's an experiential thing. To, to press into our relationship with Jesus Christ, to, to continue to believe in, a, in an emotional way in, in our souls that whatever's happening, God loves us. And we also have this on the other side, to press in with our mind, to press in with our belief that what God says is true. But both of them mean to return to Jesus, to just come back and be with him to sit with the fact that he loves us, to sit with scripture and try to unpack, what does that do for me today? And this is John's, really, if you will, this is John's antidote for the antichrist. It's not some great mystery at the end of the world. It is the relationship that we have with God on a day-to-day basis to continue to to let ourselves be reminded by the God of the universe that he is true, that he is for us, that he loves us. Not walking away, not sinning, that is the fruit of abiding in Christ, not the definition. And we get that twisted sometimes. Sometimes. I abide in Jesus by not lying. Kind of, but not really. (laughs) Not sinning is the fruit of abiding in Christ. That's not the definition. Who we are with Jesus changes everything. And the best part is Jesus abides in us first. I'll invite the worship team out. They're actually going to continue this conversation with a new song about abiding in Christ. But, but this is not a try-hard message. This is a reminder, as Jesus says, as I abide in you, so you abide in me. God is with us, God is for us, God is ready to do business with us. God is ready to remind us of what we need to be reminded of. And all of this is only possible because we get to meet God where he already is, which is with us. God, thank you for this incredible promise. This incredible promise that You have everything we need. You have the truth that we need to hold on to. You have the love that redefines our lives. And when we're tempted to to chase something that's more appealing, when we're tempted to just muster up our own energy, God, call us back into what you truly want from us, which is just to be with you. to let you speak to remind us of what we already know and let us live out of that in your precious and holy and ever present name Amen